Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. Hi there. Hey Leanne, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm great, thank you. That's good. Congratulations, uh, incidentally. I've seen uh, on your social media that um, you are in the running or your firm is in the running for an award as the the best uh, family law firm with um, the Leap software that I know a lot of family lawyers use. So that's amazing. Uh, just to be in the running for that is fabulous. Thank you very much, Leanne. Um, you know, uh, it goes without saying that uh, the work that we do is very hard work. Um, and I, like you, I'm very passionate about the work that I do. I care about my clients. Uh, just yesterday, when I was in court with a client, I caught myself uh, constantly turning to her and asking her if she's okay, and reminding her to breathe, and reminding her to focus, and reminding her that she's a good person. Um, and, you know, uh, you and I both went through our own divorce. And I have to be honest with you, I don't remember my lawyer checking in on my mental health as much as I check in on my client's mental health. Yeah, no, me neither. Um, and I think it's an important part of our job to do that because divorce is very tough. And uh, it's uh, challenging emotionally and definitely hard on you know anyone's mental health. So I think it's important to do those checks. And when we get some form of recognition, whether it's from the community, the profession, or from clients, it's always very nice to, to be recognized. So yes, I'm, me and my team are very proud of that accomplishment. So thank you. Okay, post-separation adjustments. Can there be anything more exciting? Well, you're making it sound exciting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first of all, what is that? Like, what are we talking about here? So let's go backwards a little bit. Why don't we start by telling our viewers, what is an equalization payment? And on what date do we calculate a person's net family property? Because then that will explain what is a PSA, a post-separation adjustment. Well. Well, um, an equalization payment is something that um, has to be determined between a couple who has been married. And generally, the way that, that it's determined is what each party does their financial statement. Um, and their financial statement lists you know, all of their assets, all of their liabilities. And when you essentially deduct the, the liabilities from the assets, and then you make some adjustments for things that are considered to be exclusions or you know other items somebody might get a deduction for. I don't wanna complicate it too much, but there's certain things that people can make a deduction for after adding up their assets and deducting their liabilities. And for each party, we arrive at a number that's called their net family property. And occasionally these two numbers can be the same but more often than not they're not the same because you know there's there might be a bank account in one person's name or an rrsp it, it's rare that the every that, that a couple's all of their assets and liabilities and deductions are are all the same so usually there's some difference between these two numbers and then an equalization payment is calculated by deducting the lower 
amount NFP or net family property from the higher amount NFP. So if husband's uh, net family property is higher, we would deduct the wife's net family property from the husband's net family property. And this gives you a number. And then that number is split in two. Um, and it's called an equalization payment. And the idea behind it is to equalize uh, the property um, between the parties so that they're coming out of the marriage with roughly, you know, the same amount of, of property. So let's bring that back to the topic of today, which is the post-separation adjustment. That calculation to balance out or equalize the two persons' net worths ends on this thing called a valuation date, which for most people, that's the date of separation. And of course, we can have a whole workshop on how do you determine the date of separation for people that don't agree on it. But for the most part, people agree on their date of separation. It's the date that one said to the other, we're done, I'm moving out, or I'm moving into the basement, or we're no longer together because I've been with somebody else. Some public declaration that this couple is no longer a couple, even though, even though they might be living under the same roof for some time after that. So that's the date of separation. And what you, Leanne, provided to the viewers is the calculation of how we arrive at the property division between these two spouses for whatever the length of their marriage was. It could have been as short as six months. It could have been as long as 50 years. But it started off the date of marriage. It ended at the date of separation. And then we've got this thing called post-separation adjustment, which is the way to describe payments that one spouse made either to or for the benefit of the other spouse after the date of separation. And now we've got to adjust for that. We've got to potentially seek a refund or some form of contribution to that. So a perfect example is a husband and wife split up. They each have their own car, but for whatever the reasons were, husband has always been paying the wife's car lease payments. And then they don't resolve their divorce for two years after separation. So for 24 months, husband pays the wife's car lease payments, but they're not the husband's liability. They're not the husband's debt. So in that situation, husband would argue for a post-separation adjustment whereby wife pays him back the car lease payments that he made for those two years, or the amount that he owes her is an adjustment as against money that he owes her. So for example, if the equalization payment were to be a number that husband owes wife, which obviously is calculated as of the date of separation. But after the date of separation, wife owes husband a refund of the car lease payments, then husband's equalization payment to wife would be reduced by the car lease payments. And that is a post-separation adjustment. Now, let's talk about some typical ones. Okay, let's start with the matrimonial home. So. The house is owned jointly, but like in many families, not every bill is paid equally. So somebody pays the mortgage, maybe the same person pays the property taxes and the insurance, maybe one pays the mortgage, the other one pays the property taxes and they split the insurance. 
Maybe they put the money into the joint account, but maybe the money that goes into the joint account to pay all the bills is not exactly even. Well, all of that is water under the bridge until the date of separation. It's from the date of separation onward where now people feel that they have either, either overpaid um, or the other person owes them a contribution to that. Now, let's talk about real life. We go in front of a judge, Leanne, and we say, sure, the equalization payment is X, Y, Z, but there's these post-separation adjustments. Have you had the experience of trying to move a judge in the direction of addressing the, the PSA? I have, um, and I find that post-separation adjustments uh, can often be problematic um, because when one party's already paid for something, they're, they're in a sense exposed a little bit because they've already made the payment. So it's, you know, they're trying to get the money back. And um, sometimes, you know, I find it can be challenging because it's, it can be a bit of a murky area as to whether somebody might actually owe some money back. Um, and so I've found often when I've been in front of judges, um, usually it's been at a conference of some sort, like a settlement conference or something like that, where we're conferencing issues, we're not arguing a, a motion, or I, and I haven't had the experience yet of arguing post-separation adjustments at a trial, but I find often judges are looking for compromise, and it, it's not like hard and fast and black and white. And you know, one example that I see come up um, often enough, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this one, Steve, is uh, where there is a mortgage and one party is continuing to live in the matrimonial home and the other party has moved out and is paying for, uh, you know, maybe a rental accommodation somewhere. And they, um, both parties are on the mortgage. So both parties have continued to pay the mortgage, but the one who's also, who's paying a rent somewhere, you know, is upset and feels that why am I also paying the mortgage when I'm not even living there and my ex is, is living there, you know, and getting this benefit from me. Um, and, you know, the argument would be that you own title on the house. So if the, if the value of the, the home is going up and you're going to, you know, ultimately sell it or the other person's going to buy you out, you're going to get the benefit of that, that upswing. So continuing to make the mortgage payments, you know, you'll, you'll get this benefit, you know, regardless. So maybe it's not a big deal or, you know, maybe it's not going to be a long period of time. It's only a few months. So it's not ultimately a big sum of money, but, you know, sometimes these things can drag on for lengthy periods of time and the amount of money that someone's paid, you know, can be a lot. Um, and their name is on that mortgage. So certainly a bank or who, you know, whoever the lender is could come after them for the money if there's a, a default, um, so they need to make sure that mortgage is in good standing. But I do find it's an area where a lot of clients get really upset uh, about the fact that they're paying for you know, rent somewhere or whatever. They're not living there and they're making these mortgage payments. So you're right about the fact that the subject of post-separation adjustments is very murky. So you've identified one issue. I'll address it. I'll mention a couple other complications. And then let's talk about solutions. In other words, you're about to split up or you're already split up. And the question is, what, what are the best practices to manage and mitigate post-separation adjustments? So let's first talk about your situation that you just brought up. The uh, one person moves out of the matrimonial home. It's jointly owned. Uh, they historically share the mortgage, property taxes, and utilities. But now one of them is out of the house paying rent elsewhere. And they say to us, hey, lawyer, why would I be paying both 
the cost of the matrimonial home plus where I'm currently living. That's not fair. Um, please fix it. Okay. So generally speaking, the, uh, if the property is jointly owned, generally the mortgage is in both names. And if the mortgage is in both names, therefore the bank, the creditor, expects both of them to be liable, even though historically one of them may have paid or the other one paid more or whatnot. The question is really that of creditor-debtor law, which is that the bank expects the, le the borrower to pay the lender and both borrowers, husband and wife, owe that money irrespective of who's living in the house or not. So for example, if both spouses moved out of the house and both rented elsewhere, the bank still expects the mortgagors, husband and wife, to pay the mortgage. Same, by the way, for the property taxes. Same, by the way, for the insurance. So back to the situation about one of them moving out. In that situation, ideally what they want is they want to settle the issue right at the time of move out. In other words, if one is moving out and the other one that's remaining in the house is going to be buying it out, we should be fast forwarding the math on the buyout. Not always possible, but in some cases it is. So as to now transfer the property out of the person who's no longer living there's name, that person should either get the money or the amount should be known and papered so that it could now be put on the shelf and everything else could be resolved in due time. But it also removes the person from the liability of the house. And by the way, in the current real estate climate, it also potentially might protect the person moving out from suffering further losses in the value of the house if it's going down by one, two, five, ten percent, given the current real estate decline. Now, another way to deal with this is to not move out. So if you don't move out, you can't argue that you are paying and not getting the benefit for it. And by the way, not moving out has a value to what is it? The person who is willing to move out will say, I will move out once we have a deal. The person that wants to remain in the property now has an additional Bunsen burner flame on their bum to reach a deal. Once the person moves out, there's not that much of an incentive anymore because the other person who moved out still has to pay all the bills. Meanwhile, the person in occupation of the home gets free use of the home, but only at half the cost. So there are some strategic tactical benefits to not moving out if, of course, there's no other considerations like um, domestic violence or, um, or the possibility of a criminal involvement. Uh, now, another murky subject with respect to post-separation adjustments is one of the best defenses to the claim for post-separation adjustments is, well, had you paid me the proper amount in child support and spousal support, then these expenses that you now claim as post-separation adjustments are dwarfed by what you would have otherwise paid me in support. And so be very cognizant of that. In some cases, people are paying the car lease, the, the, the mortgage, the taxes, the property insurance, maybe the cell phones, maybe a whole bunch of other accounts for the house. But in fact, all that is still less than what on that income support would have been. And in some cases, it's way more, in which case it would have been smarter just to pay the child support and the spousal support and let the person in occupation budget with the money that you give them as opposed to you paying more 
and seeking an adjustment later. Um, where I was going with my question to you earlier, Leanne, is it's been my experience that judges are wholly disinterested <laughs> in doing a post-separation adjustment uh, calculation. Um, I've had a number of them at trial. Um, we've sought it. In some cases, we've received it. In some cases, the judges roll their eyes. They're not really all that interested. By the time they've already solved parenting and child support and spousal support and property division, they generally don't have any patience left for these other numbers, which generally speaking are lesser than all the other numbers that they've calculated. So really the takeaway from this uh, Instagram Live that we're doing today is figure out how you can expedite the resolution of your divorce settlement in such a way that you do not build up these mammoth numbers called post-separation adjustments that you will later be seeking a contribution or indemnification for, which you may not ever see. So the sooner you resolve things, the better. Sadly, we have way too many cases of people that hire us and they say, we split up three years ago. And since then till now, I've paid X, Y, and Z, or he owes me or she owes me X, Y, and Z. And we've now got to do a forensic uh, recreation to determine what amounts need to be adjusted for, for the period from the date of separation onward. And I think it's important for people to know, especially those who are support payors, that you cannot just, if you think that your ex-spouse owes you money for a post-separation adjustment, you can't just go and unilaterally deduct it from a child support payment or a spousal support payment that you're making. Uh, that's a big, unless it's agreed to. If it was agreed to, that's fine. But you can't just say, oh, you owe me $4,000, so I'm going to deduct that from the next two months, you know, or three months support payments. That's a big no-no, uh, and you cannot do that. And another uh, peculiarity is when somebody says, I've, um, I've paid X dollars in my ex's uh, personal expenses, whether I paid off their credit card or I, I paid a disproportionate amount of the line of credit or the mortgage. Well, some judges will say, well, hold on a second. During the marriage, who paid it all? And someone will say, well, the husband paid it all. So then the judge will say, well, then why, why would that be different after separation? And the husband said, well, you know, because we equalized everything at the date of separation and then everything after the fact is it needs to be now equalized. And what's her debt is her debt. What's my debt is my debt. And because I paid some of her debts, I want that money back. And a judge could say, well, you know, in that period of time, um, first of all, the kids benefited from the house. So it would be unfair for there to be a reimbursement considering that the children lived in the house and had the benefit of it. Another issue is, well, you could have brought a motion for the sale of the house, and that would have actually caused the house to be sold and the debt or the cost to have been eliminated, and you chose not to. And the counter argument to that is, well, I didn't want to uproot the family and so on, and I was trying to do a deal. You know, so there's all these arguments which could cause the subject of post-separation adjustments to really go by the wayside and not be given the, a, a, a proper analysis. Um, and so the one question that you asked me, Leanne, that I actually haven't fully answered is the one dealing with the person not in occupation of the home who left the home. And one uh, legal doctrine 
that can be used in that case to remediate the money is not seeking reimbursement, but it's called notional occupation rent, where the person who's not in possession of the property in the trial or in settlement says, had the other person moved out, we could have rented the property out, we could have gotten X dollars per month in rent, subtract the mortgage property taxes and insurance, we would have had a net monthly income of X, and I would have had half of X. So I now would like a calculation of that amount of money that half of X paid back to me because the spouse who remained in occupation, she got all of X or he got all of X and I'm entitled to half of X and half of X is calculated with expert evidence specifically what would the property have rented for? And of course we get that from either real estate appraisers or real estate agents. Um, and secondly, we subtract what the actual expenses were for the upkeep of the home, not utilities, property taxes, insurance, and mortgage. Um, and of course any repairs or maintenance. And then the Delta is what would have been the notional rental income. And half of the Delta is, um, technically a benefit to each spouse. But if one spouse got all of the Delta, then the house, the, the person that's not in the house can claim occupation rent for half of that number, half of the Delta. I think bottom line for our listeners on this topic is probably try not to have post-separation uh, adjustments. If you can get an agreement very early on um, so that there's clarity and agreement moving forward, you won't be in a situation where you're trying to seek lots of money down the road that you, you may not get. So try not to have them. Absolutely. The speedier and the earlier you seek advice, you go to mediation, you settle your case, uh, the better it is because you will really eliminate a lot of the headaches involved with post-separation adjustments. Well, thanks everyone for joining us and we'll see you here again next week. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.